0: You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Here the aisles, the projectionist, Tasmicha. Hi, I'm here with Yitzchak Uh, and we have got, I think, a great lineup tonight. Uh, two films that were big hits, very popular, and despite the fact that, you know, sensibilities might have changed and attitudes might have changed of what's considered funny and or what's considered moving, uh what's considered um a real um intense real performance by a child. I really think both of these films, and I, I know what Yitzhak's choices and and mine, I think both of them deserve uh definitely a, a new hearing. And I, I think that at least Little Ortiz, which is the film I want to talk about, is something which I think could even be inspiring. Uh, it's like sp- uh, I'll steal your thunder and tell you, it's something talking about 1951's um, monkey business, Howard Hawks's monkey business. And I'm talking about 1936 is uh, Jane, uh, John Cromwell's uh, Little Lord Fauntleroy. Um, and these are films, Little Fauntleroy is definitely the more famous of those films. Uh, it was. It wasn't the first version of it, because because um, the author uh, who wrote the um, the famous children's book, yeah, Francis Hutchin Burnett, who also wrote uh, The Little Princess, uh, many other wonderful children's books. Um, this was a, a, a big favorite in people's minds. Little Lord Fauntleroy, and it's really of course The Secret Garden. Um, this is a. A book that you can see why kids loved it, the story of a child. and Again, I didn't read the book, so I'm not sure if in the book it's you have this America, England type of uh, dichotomy. But in the at least in the movie, and I assume in the book as well, there's at least a kid who's being raised in poverty. He knows that uh, his father was some sort of sp- sp- you know important English person, but they were never raised with a tremendous amount of wealth. And all of a sudden, he discovers uh, in the movie he's actually in Brooklyn, or Hollywood's version of Brooklyn. And he discovers uh, through a lawyer uh, that appears that he is who he's actually the uh, the only heir to the Earl of Donnacourt in England, and this makes him Little Lord Fauntleroy. And that, of course, was the the the, the book. And the book not only has this sort of like a you know, Prince and the Pauper type of thing of a child discovering what it means uh, to, to be e- in, ushered into wealth. But there's also a little bit of drama, which the movie has as well, as there seems to be some contention as to indeed whether um, he is a little more I mean, that, again, I haven't read the book, but I'm sure that the, that the uh, movie, what I'm talking about, retains those elements that were in the book Now, this movie was directed by John Cromwell, but who was a a director of, it seems to be some significance, although I don't think he ever was considered one of the major Hollywood directors. I think most people know him because uh, he, his son, James Cromwell, has become quite an important character actor. I think anybody who sees, probably saw Babe. Uh, He had an indelible performance there, but his dad was a director uh, that did many, many films in Hollywood, but it's not the directoring, it's not his 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 cinema, uh, cinematic powers here as a, uh, a setting up camera shots uh, that is that makes this film anything. It really, I think, was the producer, and it was produced by David O. Selznick. I'm not th- I don't know if the O really meant anything, but David O. Selznick was a producer who was raised sort of like as a movie rat, movie brat, coming out of Pittsburgh, going to uh, California and deciding what he was going to do was rent space at the various studios and create his own production company. And most people probably realized that David O. Selznick was the producer of Gone with the Wind. And I always thought that the reason why the image of the Selznick production company was this sort of mansion, uh, a Southern mansion had to do with Gone with the Wind, but actually I'm I'm mistaken. He actually was, Selznick was a producer of films even before Gone with the Wind. Um, And he was in in business, so to speak, I think for about 10 or 12 years or or so, um, trying to make what he felt was quality pictures. In other words, Selznick would not make films that were just throwaway shorts, um, uh, vile gangster films, or or other sorts of sordid material. He wanted to be sort of an upper crust, sort of like a merchant ivory type of person. More similar to what we talked about with your wife a couple of weeks ago, you know, uh, Powell Pressburger. He really wanted his films to have a certain stamp of quality. And he, one of the films that he, uh, uh, he, he was a producer on was David Copperfield. And, it, and he, in during a trip to London, um, he was able to discover this incredible uh, child, Freddie Bartholomew, who... If, I don't know if you've seen Yitzhak, any of the films that he was in, and, and I was very shocked when I did a search in preparation for this podcast when I saw that he is not listed in most of the top 10 uh, child actors of all time. Shirley Temple does make it uh, in most of them, but I can tell you Freddie Bartholomew is incredible. He is, his, his diction, his elocution, his facial movements, we all know it's called, that, that child actors can be um, some of the most um, uh, saccharine, um, uh, silly, uh, obvious uh, type of, of, of actors. And that's because, of course, um, they aren't necessarily, they don't have the life experience uh, to, to be able to capture the words that are on the page that they're supposed to say, especially if there's some melodrama involved. And uh, even if if they've been through it, it takes years to be able to craft, uh, to take to to actually hone the actor's craft in a way that you sound convincing. Whether it's a question of accent or a question of how to actually pronounce things and, and accent things, um, mm-hmm. to be able to look into the camera, to be able to actually give over the uh, illusion that you're listening and responding, as opposed to just using your lines uh, that are that are that are memorized in your mind. These are, are, are talents that usually do not come uh, easy for children, and yet we know that Hollywood has whether it's uh, whether it's whether mentioning Shirley Temple or any of the other you know ch- child actors uh, that are that are famous. Um, it's it, you know the that Freddie was was a superstar. Not only did he make uh, not only was he the star of David Copperfield at the age of eight and a half, I think. Um, when it was filmed, but Little Lord Fauntleroy, and I'm going to explain why he is really the 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 one who carries this film almost totally and completely. Uh, but also, uh, you know, Captain's Courageous, which is a film that you know, if it wouldn't be for Freddie Bartholomew, there's no question about it, that Spencer Tracy would not have won the Oscar. And, and in this, in Captain's Courageous in particular, he is able to transform himself from the bratty child. Um, that just wants everything for himself. Um, I think Melvin Douglas plays his dad in that, and of course he he's the bratty child that gets um, thrown overboard and is taken up by a very different, very similar story to the Sea Wolf that we talked about uh, a number of weeks ago. But of course this was Rudyard Kipling's story about how a, a child can really change and turn himself into the father of the man that's going to be a productive adult, and. Bartholomew is incredible in that film, and I had never seen Fontaine. Despite the fact that it's in the public domain, because I really thought, because of the source material, it was probably extremely juvenile, and it probably, and despite the fact that I knew Selznick was very proud of it, and it was, it was the biggest money maker for the Selznick uh, production company till Gone with the Wind, I dismissed it, and I was wrong. This was a film that. I saw recently and it inspired me because the story is inspiring. Now, not just because he is poor and then he becomes the Lord. It's because once he is told that he is, well, even before he's told that he is the heir to this incredible fortune, you see that the child is able to change people's lives. He's able to bring out the best of the people around him. Now in Brooklyn, where he lives, um he is his two best friends are um, the, the greengrocer and what he calls the bootstrap which of course is another way of, um, is another way of saying a shoe shine boy who's the shoe shine boy Mickey Rooney who was together with him in um, Captain's courageous and guy kibby and of course Yitzchak. guy Kibbe puts, brings a smile i think to anybody Whoever hears his name, he was one of really of the one of the great, um, you know, comic character actors in Hollywood. These were his two buddies in Brooklyn, and obviously Mickey Rooney was older than him uh, than Freddie. Freddie was at this point, I suppose I think he was eleven when he made the film, but he was playing nine. He was a short, <laughs> little short boy, um, and he uh, shows in this film set in the eighteen eighties in Brooklyn in the beginning how he is able to navigate a very tough neighborhood, a neighborhood of, of toughs who really want to beat him up. And he's able to bring light and understanding. Uh, he's able with his innocence, but also with his innate intelligence that never wants to uh, to lord it, and no pen intended here, over anyone. He actually believes in the best in people. And um, when... Uh, you know he, he he lives with his mother played by Dolores Costello Barrymore she was John Barrymore's wife uh John Barrymore of course is the is the ultimate uh, tragic hollywood actor the one who uh in silent films of course was considered one of the great uh leading men and because of i think it was the nasal quality of his voice or other issues he was not able to really make the uh transition to sound films Uh, in any significant way, and he turned to drinking, and he was violent, and he was married to this very beautiful woman, uh, Dolores Costello, who appears here as Dolores Barrymore. I mean, why not? If you've got the name of the first family of of actors, you might as well keep it. So she plays his mom. She's a widow. She was married to this English fellow who obviously, who was clearly a a lord in himself, but just like many... (laughs) Meghan Markle, <laughs> and who was it, Prince Harry, I think, uh, realized that there's always going to be, you know, this, that the English royalty is somehow going to have a, a taste for this American style. And then he was disowned, as it were, from his father. Uh, and therefore, she was exiled with him to America. He died, uh, leaving um, her to raise the child by himself, by herself, and but he's been raised magnificently. For some reason, despite the fact they don't seem to have any income, I'm not sure where the money came from, they have a maid who takes care of uh, both of them and dotes over the child. And when all of a sudden there arrives a wonderful, wonderful um, actor uh, playing the lawyer, um, it's Henry Stevenson who plays Havisham, uh, And again, he's a really wonderful English actor who is able to uh, sort of as an Edmund Gwen type of quality, in terms of showing you know, that like a constant bemusement, uh, very seriousness, but a constant bemusement over what is occurring. He's the lawyer being sent from England, and he is so impressed because it's clear that his employer, the Earl himself, the Earl of the, the Earl of, of, Dor- of, of Dorincourt, uh, played by the former superstar cricket player of England, C. Aubrey Smith, uh, mustached completely and uh, turned into like, uh, when we talked about Colonel Blimp, the the ultimate type of Colonel Blimp type of character, but much, much worse as we'll we'll see. He's been sent by this man. And this man has told him the worst type of things about this daughter-in-law of his. And he discovers how refined she is, how sweet she is. And of course, here's the deal. We're taking you to England. I'm not going to separate you, the uh, the Earl says, from your son. Not completely, but you're not going to live with us in the castle. The castle, I'm going to live with my grandson. You'll have a house nearby, but I never want to see you. I never want to see your face. And she doesn't allow her son, played by Freddie Cedric, Ceddie as he's called, played by Freddie Bartholomew, to know anything about this, but, but that rather the grandfather who has sent his lawyer with a stash of cash to pay off any debts they have there and to bring them to England. Now, it's interesting, of course, right away, um, you see not only uh, Bartholomew's acting talent, but you see the story's really sense of goodness. Because what does he want to do with this money that he now has? He wants to help Mickey Rooney's character. He wants to help Dick, the, the shoeshine boy. He wants to give him his, instead of having to run around and have to shine shoes on every corner, but to give him his own little shop, and they're able to buy that for him, that it could be his own little spot that he has. He's also able to help uh, the old Irish lady who's selling apples. What he wants to do is help other people. That even though he's been given wealth, he realizes emotionally that the greatest gift a person can have is the ability to give to others. And this is what was inculcated into him as a child, seemingly from his mother, and this is what he practices to the T, even before he gets on the boat. And of course, once he arrives in England, uh, and of course, England is only, is obviously just made up as some Hollywood soundstage, but the English actors that they use, unlike National Velvet and other films that we talked about, where the accents were just flying all over the place, they used a complete set of English actors. I mentioned C. Aubrey Smith before. He plays the, uh, you know, if anyone is, he's sort of like Alistair Sim in, um, in, in Scrooge combined with Cruella Deville from 101 Dalmatians. I mean, he is just, you know, he's the Grinch. Uh, he's just this mean, ornery, dismissive landlord He's the lord of this whole little area in England. And all he wants to do is foreclose on people and, and send them away. He feels he can push the, the rector around, the, the, you know, the, the minister. Um, he's, he is seen to be a person who is bitter, a person who suffers from gout, whose dog is this huge Great Dane who just growls and is vicious. I mean, they really lay it on thick on grandfather. Um, And yet, of course, when they bring um, Seti over, when they bring uh, Freddie Bartholomew over, um, that first conversation, um, and it's all Bartholomew sells it, he's able to show with his innocence and his understanding, or lack of, a way into the heart of this man. And within, of course, you know what's going to happen, Yitzchak, you know he's going to change this person. But it's done so wonderfully where you see him you know soon playing marbles on the floor. you see that, um, that that he says, "Of course, you're the sweetest person I know. You must be a good person. You gave us this money. If you give this money to people, if you bought this you brought this house for my mother, if you gave us money to be able to help people, you must have a good heart. You must be somebody that that. The the actions that you do must indicate the fact, not that you're just trying to buy people off and just have to do a charity because it's expected of you, but because it really comes from a charitable heart and a good place. And what the film really brings out in, in a way that is so moving is that this fellow, these, the, 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 the Duke, the Earl, has had two sons. Both of them have run off with Americans, seemingly. He says in the film how, and he tells the lawyer that he never really was close to his children. He never really loved his children. Uh, He was incapable of of, of loving his children. And yet when this child arrives and continuously says that he cares for him, that he can be fond of him, that he hopes they're going to be good friends and and, and finds the best of him and, and judges him favorably, He's able to discover that he has the capacity of love, that he doesn't hate himself as much as he thinks, that he isn't this ogre, that he is someone that could, because of the love that's being given to him, he can start caring for himself and for others. Even the Great Dane quickly becomes the uh, under the spell of, of Little Lord Fauntleroy. Um, the servants, the townspeople, um, and, and there are such wonderful little scenes like the going to the rector and going to church. And even though I'm not a big fan of of hymn singing and that sort of again, as a, being raised as a Jew and never really uh, spent time in a church in any way or holding a hymnal or anything like that, um, you know, I sort of like, you know, it's I sort of like want to turn away from these scenes. But to me, it was it was so similar to what we have in our own. Culture about the Miserabant. You know, there's a special place where the Lord sits. And you can see that um, although his mother uh, is sort of you know in, in in the pews as well, you can see the the bond and the love that is exuded by um by, by by Bartholomew in his singing, a very, very nice singing voice as well, that sort of indicates that this is indeed a cherub. Who has really descended down to this world, and um, you know and there is a uh, there is a party where he's introduced to all his relatives, and again he isn't overknowing. Again, people sometimes cite Macaulay Culkin's portrayal in Home Alone and others, or um, I forgot the boy who was in the Christmas story. Um, as, you know, a a realistic uh, uh, of of a a child, a realistic example of a child star of meeting adults. Um, uh, Peter Billingsley, I think, is the boy who plays it in The Christmas Story. Um, Freddie Bartholomew does a great job of being, uh, having wonderful diction, of having a certain uh, upper-crust vocabulary, but at the same time, not being just some sort of moppet that that, that is able to uh, you know talk incredibly he is a child and you can tell that he plays it like a child how he falls asleep um, it, it really is a, a wonderful performance um, and it's it's a testament to the fact that you can have sentimental problem but done correctly it can really bring out a, a, a positivity of and, and, and much more than what Dickens did in a Christmas carol because you know what Dickens did in a Christmas carol was you can be scared to do truva you know <laughs> basically you could if, if 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 God will send you angels or to tell you or spirits that will tell you about how your life is is is, is corrosive and what it's leading to uh, you might want to put the brakes on it and stop and that and, and I'm not saying Christmas Carol, you know, obviously is a very powerful you know metaphor of how one can change their lives. But I find Fauntleroy to, really, to actually be a more mature way, and, and that is to really discover innocence within children and others around us and to not be afraid to, um, to shatter what people's conceptions that we think they are. Many times we fall into traps of continuing to act in the way our our enemies want us to act, and here you can see uh, how the film differs from that. He's able to uh, discover that the mother is really responsible for so much uh, of the love that uh, Seti is able to shine outwards, and he realizes that he has been wrong, and in the scene where eventually he comes to her house, which was the house given to her um, by him, although she refuses to take actual stipend than any money, because she says she doesn't want to take money from someone who hates her. He comes to her uh, because he realizes he's wrong, and also because another person has arisen. And this is the drama of the, of, of the, of the film. And like many, many films, got that are based on books that need to somehow have that third act, that somehow need to have, everything's moving along. And now here comes the, how will it end, the suspense part. Okay, so I'll tell you what the suspense part is. Uh, I mentioned there were two sons. The older son's wife appears with an even older boy that she says was fathered by the older son. And therefore, this boy is really Lord Fontoy. And of course, this woman uh, is the opposite of Dolores Costello. Uh, She's really a, I think it was played by Helen Flint. Uh, She's someone who's clearly a gold digger. her her manners are only uh, are, are, are gossamer thin. She really doesn't care. She's really got a you know sort of a brash American type of accent, and um, however, she has a a marriage certificate and a birth certificate, which indicates that this child was actually born while she was technically still married to the original to the, to the older brother, and at this point. Uh, it becomes almost apparent, even to the lawyers, based on what the evidence seems to seem, that Freddie Bartholomew Seti is really not Little Lord Fauntleroy, but it's actually this this sullen child who sort of like just is sucking on some sort of chocolate candy, who doesn't really talk well, who doesn't have the same sort of angelic appearance, and it's um, it's it's clear, you know, at that point. That's that, that uh, the the Earl needs to somehow forge a relationship with Seti's mother. Um, and what saves the day? So, spoiler alert, what saves the day is of course, and I and I was watching the film, I said, what, you know they put Guy Kibby in there for the first 20 minutes, and they have Mickey Rooney and Guy Kibbe there, and they keep on like every 15-20 minutes. A letter comes from England back to Brooklyn, and they're reading it and talking about things. And and you know, Guy Kibbe's character, Mr. Hobbs, is saying, "Well, maybe they're not so bad, those English. Maybe they're you know, with all their stuffed-up royalty." And of course, this really has to do with the divide between England and America. We talked about it in many programs already about how Hollywood was interested in actually you know dissolving that type of rift. I don't know if it's because they knew the, the, the war, the hooves of war uh, were approaching in, in Germany. I don't think that was going on. I think in general, that was one of, the, one of the things that Hollywood set itself out to do was to somehow merge, once again, the English and American mentality. We've talked about that on previous programs. And, and, and part of that is really shown by Hobbes, the Guy Kibbe character, thinking that Englishmen are all stuffed up and they're into this a sense of royalty, which, which really you know, just abuses the common person and uh, C. Aubrey Smith you know, believes all Americans are the most vulgar people in the world, and they, you know, they're un- unlettered. But it turns out that um, uh, Mickey Rooney recognizes it when he sees the newspapers uh, trumpeting uh, this new heiress, and she, he recognizes it as his own sister-in-law. Hmm. They dropped the story about that he had a brother that was going to find his wife that he thought was in Chicago. And it turns out, of course, that she is just a two-bit floozy, somebody that, uh, and it's only when, you know, surprise, they end, up, they end up making their way all the way to England. Clearly, they send a telegram or somehow they make their way to England and they're able to expose her. And um, uh, Freddie is able, said he's able to celebrate his 10th birthday as, uh, and, and, and his best friends are here from America and he can clearly show himself as the real Lord Fauntleroy. Uh, and there's a lot of cute little, you know, funny conversations as as um you know Kibby realizes that Englishmen do have something great about them, and there is something uh that that's that that is that the aristocracy isn't just you know boiler, uh, isn't just some boilerplate stuff, that it really does represent a certain magnanimous uh spirit. And um you know, the film really is, as I said, a celebration of of how children and the, the 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 humane treatment of children and the understanding of how their innocence can sometimes be the key to unlocking the best parts of ourselves. I think that's really why the film was so popular, why it made so much money. Uh, what I'm surprised it took is, is that I guess nobody cared about it enough uh, to keep it out of the public domain because it is. Uh, available, uh, you can actually—it's on the internet. Um, the internet, uh, uh, what is that site called again? The internet archive site, where you can find it. You can find it on YouTube, many, many other places. Uh, it was restored, um, and I don't remember the outfit that restored it. Um, there still has some scratches in it, but I, I saw the restored version on TCM, and I really recommend it highly. I, I again, I, 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 I regret. Not seeing it when I was younger, because I think it, it really is a film that, um, again, we talked about Miracle of 34th Street. We talked about other films uh, about the, about what children can do. I think here, really, it, it's, it's, the message is great, and the messenger is incredible. And it's it's really a, a, a tragedy in a way that Freddie Bartholomew's career was. cut short the way it was there was a lot again i i don't know all the details but i do know there was a a tremendous amount of 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 rancor over who controlled the monies that he had uh in terms of his guardians and his parents um and he really retired from from filmmaking um and, and never really got a chance to show himself as an adult actor that in any great way i think he was known as a television director uh, as television came to be so important in the 1950s and 60s. Um, but, but to me, it, the five or six, you know, people talk it's like about James Dean as being this incredible uh, method actor icon. And he only made three films. He only made um, East of Eden, um, Rebel Without a Cause, and Giant. And I love all those films. Those films are great. Uh, but he only did three. And people will still talk about the next James Dean. And it's interesting that Freddie Bartholomew, uh, you know, I, again, you look at, at the films that he made, the flawlessness of his technique uh, and, and considering what was going on there, he really needs to be extolled, I believe, as one of the marvels of, 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 of Hollywood in terms of what he was able uh, to bring throughout. We all know movies are phony. We all know movies are are just scripted. But when you have an actor that's able to make you forget all that, when you have a child that can make you say, wow that, that that's a kid but i love that kid you know that kid is is great that kid is the kid that that in, in a way uh i that's the type of child i'd like to have that's the child i wish i was and i think you've accomplished quite a bit and that's why you know i i, I encourage people to 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 check it out a little
1: longer selznick made a lot of really great um... Uh, screwball comedies in the heyday of screwball comedies, uh, including Nothing Sacred, probably his his best uh, screwball right. comedy. Right. And I, the think, screwball I think I think I think that
0: was the that was Lubitsch, right? Lubitsch directed that, yeah. I believe,
1: right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Selznick also uh, earlier did King Kong. You know, when he was briefly was at, at RKO right. before before he decided Lula. to become
0: yeah. he decided to become his own master. Yeah. Yes.
1: So, yeah. yeah and 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 the truth was part of the set for King Kong was used for the burning of Atlanta in
0: and, in and uh, the wind. even mm-hmm.
1: though it was different studios he still had access to those props which is the whole history to itself how props would go from one studio to another but in any event you know the real heyday of the screwball comedy was the 30s and 40s but there but howard hawks kind of again not as late as King Ralph in 1993, but uh, in 1951, kind of, kind of at the end of the screwball comedy genre, uh, made a film uh, called Monkey Business that we we watched over the weekend. Part of it is my kids developed a little bit of a, an interest in it, made it a little bit dress. That apparently, I I, don't, I have no way of proving that this what it is, but it's a dress that that apparently Marilyn Monroe wore this dress and gifted it to my bubby. The I don't know exactly how that happened. That uh, you know, I mean, my my if my wife was in the hospital having a baby or whatever else. She never she never gave a dress that she wore to to a to a nurse. But I guess it's a little bit di- different if it if it's Marilyn Monroe. But it's the. Um, anyway i i took a little clip you know, i was lo- examining this dress that Marilyn monroe wore and and owned and uh, i i took a clip of it put it on youtube and someone mentioned i guess it's Marilyn monroe's yort site i don't know if it was on the he- i didn't look it was on the hebrew calendar or on the english calendar but someone one of the one of the regular commenters on on my youtube channel made a comment about that that that, that was Marilyn Monroe's yard site. So I guess it's the <laughs> shtickle and yon and the yoima. It's also the rear cottage yard site tonight now that I'm uh, recording. <laughs> I, hear, here. I, I
0: don't it's think like, anyone in the history of Chloe Yisro yeah. has somehow connected uh, the, the Norma Jean Baker with uh, <laughs> Yitzchak Luria Ashkenazi. Ashkenazi yeah.
1: No, I just... I'm, I'm, Drinking a little chaim for the for the hard side of the Ariyakod. I, I see, I
0: see. Well, if anybody could be in malut nitzaytes of Marilyn Monroe, it'd probably be uh, the Ari. Let's talk. Listen, listen. Marilyn Monroe actually felt herself to be a Jew. You know, she she well, converted she, she, she in order to marry one, Arthur Miller.
1: Conversion, yeah. I read about it. It was very interesting, and she really she identified very much as being Jewish. She, you know, even though obviously, you know, there's no mikveh, there's no bezden, it was right. she, I, the description she, she, of the conversion was just that the rabbi, the former rabbi came to their apartment and she took some kind of shvua or something and then uh, and, she, and also, she, they were married by just as a peace, they weren't married, but I, I I just, I, I never understood this you you go through the whole thing of, of convert whatever you believe, it's a conversion, this and that, and then you don't have the rabbi do the wedding, you go to, you go have to pay a judge he you know the rabbi could use the money i think you know but the same thing the same thing what what i i always wondered you know sammy davis jr who had a conservative conversion a little bit a uh, little bit more he went to mikveh and some kind of bezin was a, somewhat more of a halachic process than what maryland and he got married and i think uh, jesse jackson was 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 uh was the officiant and it was just like you know the Reverend Jesse Jackson was just like little strange you know where's the
0: well you know you saw, let me tell you something I think it, you know, we could dedicate a whole program to stars that were semi-Jewish to converted to Judaism um, and we could definitely do a whole program about Marilyn Monroe but I think we have to be honest that had her career ended in 1951 uh, and she would have just had a couple of small roles uh, a very small role in All About Eve and of course here in monkey business, it was only really 52, 53, 54. By the time gentlemen prefer blondes, that's when she was actually the bombshell, the sex symbol, the actual yeah. symbol of the United States in itself. And of course, then you have the seven year itch and uh, some like it hot. Um, so those years, I think from 1954 uh, till 1959 or the Misfits, which was the last film she made, um, I believe 1959, was, I think it was released in 1960. I mean, that's that's the you know the Marilyn Monroe, that is the icon here in Monkey Business. Um, she's in it, and the film really. She's obviously, a, but she's a device in this film. She represents a certain device, uh, and of course, what is that device that Marilyn Monroe represents in this film? She's in the, well, the film is about youth,
1: so it's uh, you know she represents you know a spirit of youth, uh, you know that that people are trying to to re- you know recapture. And I think
0: that's really what the... Right. And because of her incredible vivaciousness, it isn't just her body. It's really, you know, her, the way, her mannerisms, the way of speaking, her, 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 her whore-like innocence, I would say. You know what I'm saying? It's almost like, yeah, she's innocent, but, you know, but you, you realize that, you know, this is someone who represents, you know, Shangri-La to the nth degree. She, I think she's the secretary of... of, of right. Of, of of Coburn right the um uh, yeah. she's the secretary and I don't think she can take I don't think she does much uh she does much dictation well, right
1: that was the, that was the whole hop was at the beginning of the movie she you know he's talking about how poorly her punctuate how poor her punctuation is and yet they they don't seem to mind to get rid of her and they don't they just uh they just have someone else do the work, but they they want to keep her around, obviously.
0: Of course, and, and and you know, and again, this was a time that in Maryland, you know, whether she was happy about it or not, I don't know, but you know, it was clear that she was just the more than just the eye candy, but as you say, she's the device because, um, as as you can explain, mm-hmm. I don't want to really steal the you know the complete your complete thunder, but as uh, Carrie Grant, who plays. a a a professor type right a a researcher in a way correct and he's he's what is he being paid to research here what is he being paid to discover
1: trying to create some kind of fountain of youth drug really that's the that's the whole idea of the movie is that he's he's trying to develop something this is this is a this is a trope that's been used in so many different movies and i think this is probably one of the better ones you know i I tend to think about a, a Roger Corman movie called The Wasp Woman, where this uh, a, a makeup uh, magnate she she can't sell her makeup anymore because she's getting too old, which she really doesn't look old that much. But then uh, she figures out she takes the royal jelly oh, yeah. of a of a of a queen wasp, and then okay. she turns into a kind
0: yeah. of a. I a thought you were. Boy. I, I thought you did. were going to throw in the Little Rascals uh, shorts where. Um... Um, you have these gangsters that somehow discover the fountain of youth, and they they're then played by midgets. I think they <laughs> in the film or something. I mean, I mean, but you're right. But 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 I think it's really more uh, a take on the drug company. I mean, there's a couple of things here. Uh, Charles Coburn, who I guess is the head of this drug company uh, that is going to look for this, uh, is all is all about the fact that what we already even have today. That's the, some of the greatest. Uh, post-industrial giants of world war ii were the drug makers they were the ones that were pushing and they were trying to basically uh through television through advertising that was being beamed into people's living rooms consistently talk about young 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 that geritol will keep you young this will make you feel younger um uh, yeah so
1: this he, this he wants to call it before like before and after that was the uh, the uh
0: and, and somehow kind of, you, know, you know Cary grant is going to be the 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 researcher who's somehow working on it uh and of course you can't just research on humans right and this is where we get the the title I'm sort of leading you here with these questions
1: right so they're they they're using they're using some chimpanzees and they mix them up they they find out that one of the chimpanzees is uh, they, they find a, a very old chimpanzee is all of a sudden acting young. And they realize, no, just the clothes were switched. But then, uh, and one of the chimpanzees, whose name is Esther, a female chimpanzee, mixes some chemicals and puts in the water cooler and winds up actually creating this by accident that they were all trying to seek out. The, the right. names sure. of the characters yeah. have, have wonderful alliteration. Charles Col- Colburn is Oliver Oxley. Meryl mm-hmm. Monroe is Lois Laurel, so you, you have those, um you know, uh, and then and then Cary Grant is Doctor Barnaby Fulton, not not as as uh, illiterate, but it's uh and and his wife but is sort of a comic
0: though a little bit. I,
1: I Yeah, no, there, there's I, a lot, I, I, lot of humor in these names. It, I, it's, I, I, it's not it's not quite uh, you know Doctor Strangelove, but it's it's
0: right it's, Barnaby, right? I think part of it. Forgive me, Yitzhak, but you know, again, I've seen Monkey Business a number of times, many times actually. I've seen it probably, probably six or seven times. Yeah. To me, you know, in in many ways, Hawks went back to the well, and you know exactly what I'm going to say: the well of bringing up baby. You know, which again, let's put a let's put Cary Grant, and let's contrast him as this sort of mild-mannered professor, and with the fact that he is strikingly good-looking, strikingly virile, and let's have him sort of play. Sort of foppish, uh, somewhat even effeminate type of character, or a super hyper intellectual character, and let's play around with that, which of course is what was the the, the incredible successful dynamic in bringing up Baby. Uh, right. I think in nineteen thirty-eight, um, and and you also have, of course, the other thing that Hollywood loves to do, besides you know the sweet little child that we talked about, Freddie Bartholomew was in the animals, right. In bringing a baby, there was the cat, right? There was this panther. There
1: jaguar. There was uh... a jaguar, right?
0: And, which was baby. And here, I don't know if it was the same trainer who trained Bonzo, but Esther and her friend, uh, they are in a way what Hollywood loved to do and what hawks liked to do, which was get those animals in there too. And Carrie does a great job playing with those animals, playing off them. Um, you know, he's some of it must have been ad lib because you can't really control the animals completely. And I think that's that's I think in that way it's sort of a very similar uh, motif here of where you know, but but unlike bringing a baby, where you know Catherine Hepburn is able to strip away without magic, without potions, uh, this other side of uh, of the professor. Here, it's actually because Carrie decides to 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 drink the, uh, well, the potion himself, knows- right?
1: He, he thinks he's drinking the potion and he doesn't realize that it's actually what's the water cooler that that's doing it. That, that's that's the right, right, together. right. So he, th- he thinks he came up with it and he thinks that if he just applies some heat to the, to the formula, that's going to make it work. And it doesn't, it doesn't actually do anything because uh, Colburn really wants to, to try this. You know, he, he is, is pining away for his youth. Yeah, that's right. I mean, he would,
0: he would, he would, he would he like to actually be able to because what the monkey's able to do, the potion works. Put enough as Darwin, you know, as they said, put enough monkeys and a typewriter. Who knows if you're gonna get Shakespeare? Here the monkey mixes the stuff around and and and, and, and as as fate would have it, so to speak, it actually works. And yeah. Cary Grant, who is middle aged by this point, we talked about in the film that, that that you know people will talk when I talked about him, you know, romancing a girl 20 years his junior. Here he is, um, a couple years older, um, and gray starting on his temples already. But once he uh, takes this uh, potion, what occurs is is that he finds himself right. He finds himself sort turn of... back, turned back into to a young man.
1: The the major thing is that he can see without his glasses, and that's really you know where he can really you know show himself that you know, if he's and he wants to go roller skating and swimming and and show off that he can jump off the the diving ball and he, the diving board and he and and he drives a, a a crazy car and dresses up in a very youthful manner and it and he takes he takes Marilyn Monroe out not it doesn't seem like it's on a romantic date it's just really more like a, a young young person wanting to have fun you know there there there's a certain innocence. It seems still, even in his youthful uh, well,
0: part portrayal- of it. Part of it, I think, was the Hayes Code in some way, right? I mean, part of it, part of it was the fact that he is married. And let's talk about the other star of this film, the Ginger Rogers. He's right. married to Ginger Rogers, who right. you know, who in, in her when she was young was was, if not Meryl Monroe, was known as a sort of a sexy star. Uh, right. I, even before she became Fred Astaire's impeccable dancing partner she was known as a very beautiful sexy type of uh, star um and this is and she she won the academy award uh for playing in a a dramatic role and she had shown in movies like bachelor mother and others that she was a a super adept comedic actress we've talked about her in the past in storm morning and other films um and you know (laughs) they didn't want to have carrie being an adulterer at least outright you know here in this film Uh, and but but as you say, he sort of like he sort of has a schoolboy crush on the older woman, Marilyn Monroe, right? I think that's really what's going on. He's sort of like a 14, fourteen fifteen year old who's with the older woman, although he's really you know about twenty five years older than her. I think that's the way I remember it. I don't know. That's, if that's...
1: that's how that's how I understand it. Also, you know, yeah. and, that, and and then even when he's developed to be even younger later on in the film, and there's this, uh, you know. It seems because it seems like in some ways that uh, Ginger Rogers she she doesn't seem to have such a jealousy at first, you know, as an adult uh, when she finds the the, the lipstick on uh, on on her husband Barnaby's face, but then when when they're both reduced to children, so how does
0: what, what what is the impetus for Ginger Rogers? She goes to the she goes to the lab and she ends up drinking some of the water
1: yeah she take well she not only she also believes that she is taking the the potion and right, but, unaware... but then
0: they give her some water which yeah. is where the real potion is it's in the water cooler right right and right. Uh, so so when she takes the drink of water to sort of wash down the bitter taste of the potion it starts to work on her and and because hawks was running out of time her transformation is much quicker i believe right
1: yeah and then they have another time when both of them transform later you know they they have uh, but there's a lot of jealousy there's a lot of things going on between you know first you know at, at at that point you know she just wants to go dancing with her husband and and they want to go back to their uh the honeymoon suite and they remem- remember all the, their old songs and everything and they're very Sentimental and romantic, but uh, but he he winds up messing something up by offending her because she's so sensitive in this state, and uh, she winds up calling her mother and she's she's about to leave him and she she and she calls a lawyer that, that has a that that really has been trying to take to take her away from from Cary Grant. He's right, played Matthew because... Marlow, who's who is in a few movies that I'm familiar with, the day the Earth stood still and. Uh, um, I'm trying to remember some of the other monster movies that he was in. Science fiction movies, Yeah. Hugh Marlowe. Uh, the, the Earth versus the Flying Saucers. He he's he's
0: probably the head of, of this. If this film has a heavy, it's probably him. I mean, although he's not much of a heavy, but he's probably the, like the the mean character uh, of this film, or the or, yeah, the, or like the, the underhanded. He's the underhand. I, look, Charles Coburn to me is one of an underappreciated character actor. He he sure. was he was great in the Lady Eve. Um, he's just a wonderful presence, and um, I think he always played an old guy. I think he was playing an old guy even in his youth. So you can't really look at Charles Coburn as the villain. I think you're right. Hugh Marlowe was sort of the villain who who was going to try to take you know you know uh, Ginger Rogers away finally from this egghead professor. But she's yeah. but she's too far gone because she's already she's taken the potion right. She's taken this youth yeah. potion. Because of that, you know, she's not interested in him romantically either. She just starts. She becomes like a like a like like a preteen almost.
1: Right, and there and so there is this aspect where she is one. She is jealous. She expresses her jealousy. She says, you know, she's gonna she's gonna tear out, uh, you know, the Marilyn Monroe character. She's gonna tear out her her blonde hair from the black roots. Right, totally. that's one of the lines that she has in the, and she uh. You know, the, just the, uh, the 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 jealousy that comes out when they when she's portrayed as a real young child. You know, she you know because she's like you know Cary Grant is like oh I want to play with you, and like and and uh, and then the Ginger Rogers plays all kinds of mean tricks on the Marilyn Monroe character.
0: so, in other words, what happens is they sort of devolve from like the teenagers into sort of like seven, eight, nine, ten year olds who are into what we would call a puppy love type of state. And how little kids are bratty and, and otherwise with each other. So um, you know, right? And I think that's sort of, in a way, you know, a celebration of somewhat of, I guess, of that youthful aspect that 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 they end up um, uh, this rediscovering through these scientific magical means. Um,
1: that's also part of the, uh, you know, she Carrie Grant wants to take some kind of revenge on Hugh Marlowe, and he he sees some. Some kids who are playing Cowboys and Indians. Indians. Mm -hmm. So they said, Oh, I'm going to scalp him. He winds up giving him a, like a Mohawk haircut, which (laughs) goes along with something we were talking about earlier. Yes,
0: yes, yes. Right. Um, And and I'll tell you what, look, you know, Kerry was, and I've talked about him as the ultimate movie star, uh, the, you know, really uh, incredibly uh, adept comedian.
1: Um, I mean, this, this shows his range because this is. Somewhat different i mean I get, again you're right it it is it is uh very similar to bringing up baby, but it's very different than you know let's you know his girl Friday you know it's uh, where he is much more of a conniving mm-hmm. uh, you know uh, uh somewhat uh, obnoxious character, but still lovable despite being so obnoxious and and, and uh and, and uh-huh. another streak uh-huh. here here he's a character who is very innocent very sincere but very it's obvious that he that he loves his wife that he he's trying to rediscover a lost romance that they had but also he's so dedicated
0: to to his his, work i i i think part of the what the message is is that as we get older we sometimes allow our purpose in life that we see our purpose to cloud and to diffuse some of our personality and what made us uh vivacious and interesting to each other and, and and the rut that almost all middle-aged people you know happens to them. of course you know you, you must love the work you're in but for most people who aren't going to the movies who are going to the movies they are confronted at home with this with this struggle should i you know if i continue to do great at my job and, and work very hard and try to do this um I'm not going to be the same romantic fool and, and, and guy that was just running around having a good time that I was. Um, and, you know, the, the longer we end up doing that, uh, the longer we, and maybe even the more, more successful we become, it's skunk, um, right. the harder it is to turn the clock back. And, you know, a realistic way of saying is, well, okay, you're not 20 anymore. You're not uh, 15 anymore. Um, you know, take uh, enjoy the fact that as a mature person, what you're doing. Of course, you do need some time out, and 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 you shouldn't. It shouldn't be buried so deeply that you're not able to summon some of that back up. And I think that's part of you know what the film was was speaking to, um, because you know as as far as I remember, it's like they're going to devolve to the point that they somehow have to find the antidote, and and somehow they they, they realize that once the when they realize where the potion was that was in the water cooler that they're going to somehow be able to reverse the process, right? I think that somehow, um, you know, it, you got to admit, it's like, there is sort of a, a rushed feeling to it. The pacing in, um, in, in bringing a baby and his, in, in, in his girl Friday is, is, is perfect. Uh, you know, there's not a, I did get the sense the monkey business has a lot of inspired moments, a lot of great little comic shtick uh, from Cary Grant. Uh, Ginger Rogers as well again again Merrill Monroe wasn't asked to do much other than you know know how to dress and and you know and wear this and wear these sweaters or whatever it was she was doing but I think I got the sense to me anyway from the last time I saw it that the film sort of has sort of a you know it, it, it sort of runs out of steam I mean they
1: heard... once was back it, it it doesn't always work and there is something even though it is it, it it's a fun movie it's an enjoyable movie but it doesn't. It doesn't capture that which the same people managed to do with with bringing up baby, with his girl Friday, uh, or what Ginger
0: Rogers able to do. It's almost the the film almost betrays its message in its in, in the in its weakness, meaning that really, you know, the truth is you can't go back to 1935 or 1940. Um, the film does show its you know its stars do show their age in a way. Right, Uh, despite their talent, which was immense. I mean, Cary Grant, some of his best work was was yet to come, whether it was *To Catch a Thief* or *North by Northwest*. We talked about Charade, of course. Um, uh, But for Ginger Rogers, it might have been, you know, one of her last, you know, best roles um, in in terms of where she was going. We talked about what happens with women in Hollywood, and 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 I think even though it sort of was a satire. On the new television uh, pharmaceutical age, but it really was in a way, you know, it might have poked fun at it, but in a way, it had to it had to raise its hands and surrender to that era, that era of com- ultra commercialism, trying to find the new wonder drug. Um, and, and in that sense, it's it's like Howard Hawks was, I believe, you know, sending out a salvo against this mentality. But that mentality just kept on growing in the fifties, um, and the type of films that were made. We've received some criticism sometimes about, you know, the the you know the I wouldn't say the squalid nature, but sometimes of the, um, you know, why are we recommending these films? Uh, you know, I think yours is, you know, you could consider it, although it's a little bit uh, pushes somewhat of the envelope. Um, nothing nothing could really objectionable can be found in Fonteroy. Um And I think you know, both of them are probably a wonderful option uh especially let's say let's let's just put it on the table you know as an alternative to a lot of the um mind deadening and violent and vulgar um type of stuff that's out there uh, that you're going to be probably going out and binging and again i i don't want to uh, sermonize on this but i think there's such great stuff that that is, is available for free <laughs> that yeah. uh, that really you know yeah,
1: I mean, you know, seeing the kinds of things there are now, I, 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 I was complaining about how, about how bad new stuff was when you know when I was a kid in the eighties and nineties, and how I, I really enjoyed, Just you, you, you can't get it. You, you tr- when you try to, 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 to capture something that's lost, it, it just it doesn't work. And I think that this movie doesn't fail that much because it is it's a lot of fun and it's pretty good but it's much, uh, it is, it it does have some chesorin of they're trying to capture something that was lost, but here we're not talking about you know, uh, Ben Sira being hundreds of years after Shlomo Melech, we're talking about the same people trying to capture their own youth, and that's I what see. this movie's is about—capturing their own youth. And even right, the I'm, same okay. people can It's do. Like i marvel
0: at, at 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 the connection that you just made there, and I I I, I think I understand the significance. Um, but <laughs> you know, as we said, I think that uh, you know we we, we hope that uh, again, don't watch these movies on Tisha B'av. take care everybody watch your your step on the way out we'll catch you next week thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode